Good morning. You may be seated. Welcome to chapel today. I have several announcements to share for you and, and then several other things we want to uh, share about uh, to, in today's service. Uh, today, uh, Student Life will be hosting a Pepsi break at 2.30 this afternoon in the cellar, so you'll want uh, to be there this afternoon. Also, uh, as uh, is customary on a Wednesday, the Baptist Student Ministry is hosting noondays today. Everyone's invited to that. It's a free lunch in Piper Hall of the Global Mission Center, and First Baptist Church of Duncanville is ho- uh, providing today's lunch, so you'll want to be there uh, and uh, support that church and also enjoy the lunch that they provide, uh, sponsored today uh, by them and the Baptist Student Ministry. So great activities today on campus, lots of opportunities to eat today uh, and enjoy uh, life on campus. Today during chapel, uh, our president, Dr. Adam Wright, is going to come share with you about a special emphasis here uh, on the university. So would you please welcome our president, Dr. Adam Wright. Well, good morning, DBU. It's great to be with you in worship today. And uh, I just want to thank you for being the best student body in the world. I love our DBU students, love what you're doing on campus. It's been an exciting semester already. And this morning, uh, I want to give you a challenge. Uh, I've not ever done this before. It's usually been someone in the enrollment division or Dr. Harley's done this. uh, But I'm convinced that I I want to break a record this morning. And so uh, I want to tell you briefly a story about a guy by the name of Dell Braswell. Uh, you may not know Dell Braswell, but Dell is very special to me because when I pulled up on this campus as an 18-year-old, uh, Dell met me. It was after five, one summer afternoon, and Dell Braswell showed me around campus. He was my admissions counselor at DBU. I continued to stay in contact with Dell, and now he's a pastor at Wedgwood Baptist Church over in the Fort Worth area. And Dale literally was used by God to change my life. And we have a couple of admission counselors in the back there. I see you guys, ladies and gentlemen, in the back. And I want to thank you for changing the lives of our students here today, uh, for your service, for your work, and for how you invest and you pour into prospective students that feel God calling them to Dallas Baptist University. And so many of you are familiar with the story in the Bible about Andrew. When Andrew met Jesus, when he came to a personal relationship with Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he was really excited and he did something. He went and told his brother. He went and told his brother about Jesus. Something that he had experienced on the inside could not be contained. He wanted to let someone else in his life know about this experience. And I think in many respects, for the first time in our students' lives, they're experiencing Jesus for the first time in a very unique and new and a fresh way. And and I believe our job is not to keep that contained, but it's to go and to share with others. And I was sharing with our trustees just this last week, our ambition at DBU is not to be big, but it's to be bold for the glory of God. And so we're proud of the students that God sends to us at DBU. But I recognize the fact that DBU is not my university, uh, it's not your university, but it's God's university. And we need to daily steward this university to the Lord. And I'm excited about the fact that this fall, we're projecting a record number of first-year students at DBU. There will be no room at the end. At least that's the way the projections are, are, are taking us. Uh, but, but I believe that there are people within your sphere of influence that you know need to be at DBU. Uh, Our best recruiters 
are you, our students at DBU. And so I wanna take this opportunity to call your attention to a card right in front of you. We've done this in years past, uh, and, and the most we've ever collected, apparently, Dr. Harley says about 250. Dr. Harley, is that right? In a service like this. So I wanna shatter that record today. I want you to take this card and briefly think about three people that you're gonna reach uh, as a DBU patriot. We're gonna take these cards. Uh, our admissions counselors are here. They're gonna, we're gonna collect these cards so during the song, uh, when we sing uh, in just a moment after the scripture reading and prayer, if you'll pass these cards to the end of your rows, we're going to collect these cards and we're going to reach out to them. And we're going to say, hey, Adam Wright at DBU uh, gave us your name and your email address and your phone number and encouraged us to reach out to you about DBU. I believe that God is raising up a group of student leaders on this campus that are literally changing the world. And so I want you to be a part of defining what that class is going to look like for us in the fall. Uh, so if you would now, uh, if you'll just take a moment to fill out that card, and it doesn't matter if you just have their email address or you have a phone number or you may not have all of the information, you, but you just may have a name. If you want to write your name and your phone number out there, if you want to use the QR code at the bottom, that's fine as well. But I wanted to give you the chance. I wanted to empower you with the opportunity to help define what the class is gonna look like this next year. Uh, I'm really grateful for you, thankful for the opportunity to share a brief word with you this morning and uh, look forward to being a part of this Operation Andrew initiative here uh, this morning with you. So thank you, Dr. Harley, appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Wright. I always, I always admire Dr. Wright's enthusiasm and excitement about what's happening here on campus. I want, uh, Jared's just gonna play uh, some worship music over the speakers and I want us to take just a minute here in the service to give you the opportunity to, to take a second to fill out the card. I see some pins moving, so I wanna give you the time right now to do it. So we will pause uh, for just about a minute and do that and then I'll come back and introduce the rest of our program. If I could have your attention back to me, thank you for taking time today to do that. As Dr. Wright said, you can follow the QR code. Uh, some staff, uh, when we sing again, will kind of just uh, walk, walk down the aisles and you can just hand them the cards on their, uh, on their way here in a few moments. Our chapel speaker today is Pastor Josh Howerton. He is the uh, pastor, senior pastor of Lake Point Church. We've got some Lake Point people. Uh, here, Lake Point Church, uh, uh, based main campus in Rockwall, but a multi-site church with six locations. Before Lake Point, he was the lead pastor of the Bridge Church, 
a church that his father planted and grew to over 3,000 people with multiple campus in the Nashville, Tennessee area. Uh, he's a graduate of Union University and Southern Seminary. Uh, he's married to his wife, Jana, who he met on a blind date. Together, they have adopted uh, three children. Uh, Josh has been at Lake Point now for 15 months. We're excited to have him here at DBU to share uh, in chapel uh, today uh, here in a few moments. Tomorrow, February 27th, is the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. It's a day that's set aside each year uh, for individuals to pray for uh, your home university and also other universities around uh, the country. The Student Government Association tomorrow is sponsoring a prayer gathering at 7 a.m. in the DBU Coffee House uh, to come and pray for college students around the country. The Baptist Student Ministry and the Prayer Ministry are also uh, doing things throughout today and tomorrow to help guide you in praying uh, for DBU and for students here, but also uh, to pray for universities around our state and around the nation. So I want you to watch this brief video about the National Collegiate Day of Prayer, and then our Baptist Student Ministry Director, Eric Bean, will come and share more about the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. We're living in an exciting time in history. In the midst of increased darkness and chaos, there is a light that is shining bright, that's challenging the status quo and shifting the tide of history. There is a sound crescendoing that's drowning out the noise of our day. Throughout history, college campuses has been at the forefront of sparking and fueling political, cultural, and spiritual revolutions. There is a spiritual revolution rumbling in America today, and believers gathering united prayer and fasting can mold the future and shift the tide of history. And we're calling believers all across America to join hundreds of thousands of students for Collegiate Day of Prayer. We believe that as we gather to pray, that God hears. Join us release a sound Students, we believe that when we gather for prayer that God does listen. Uh, we want to challenge you to uh, take, as you leave after uh, chapel is over, there will be several students in the lobby handing out cards that will look just like this. And on every card is a different name of a university in the state of Texas and four prayer points. It would be, I think it would be fantastic if we could say that every single college student that attends a university in the state of Texas will be prayed for by DBU students. And so we're asking you, to intercede uh, for other college students just like yourself around the state of Texas uh, tomorrow. Take a card as you leave and just commit to praying uh, for those students. Uh, in addition to the prayer meeting that's happening at 7 in the morning tomorrow, there will also be a table outside of Collins at 3 o'clock in the afternoon tomorrow. Uh, we will be serving Davis Street Espresso. And uh, so stop by and we want to pray with you. This will be a time to pray for DBU students. So please join us as we pray for and beseech the Lord on behalf of college students around our state. Thank you.
Thank you, Eric. I'm thrilled that the Baptist Student Ministry and the Intercessory Prayer Ministry is leading us in this initiative to pray for DBU students and to pray for you tomorrow, but also pray for other university students as well. Christy Coleman, the director of our intercessory prayer ministry, is going to come and lead us in our scripture reading and prayer. As Christy comes up, you may not even know that we have a prayer ministry at DBU, but it was founded by Dr. Gary Cook, who's now our chancellor, because when he became president of DBU in 1988, knew that without the prayers of people, DBU would not survive and thrive. And so he, one of his first initiatives was to enlist a thousand senior adults to pray uh, for DBU, and that legacy continues uh, to where Christie works with uh, people on campus in prayer, but also works with thousands of people off campus who are praying for DBU regularly. And so there are people that you will never meet that pray for you regularly and pray for what's happening uh, at DBU and pray for the new students that will come to DBU and pray for the students that you recommend today. So Christy's going to lead us in scripture and prayer. So would you stand as Christy uh, leads us in reading from the eighth chapter of Romans. Follow along uh, with me as we read Romans 8, 38 through 40. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, in the middle of a busy, stressful week, you've given us this quiet moment to still our minds and to calm our souls. I pray that right now each student will hold tightly to your promise that nothing can separate us from your love. Help each of us right now to surrender our worries, disappointments, and regrets to you. I pray that each student in these moments will rest the knowledge of your deep, deep love for them. We thank you for Josh and the message that you've given him for today. And may your Holy Spirit speak through Josh a specific word for each student that will guide them as they leave chapel. We love you, Lord, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. My God will 
I'm a slip coming up the stage. The stage is oily. By that I mean your worship team is anointed. <laughs> that was strong right there. Uh, guys, if you got your Bibles, head over to James 1.27. Uh, if you got a Bible, head over to James 1.27. I do just want to go ahead and, uh, man, thank Dr. Harley, Dr. Wright for uh, letting me be here. I also want to thank them for their patience. Um, when uh, their offices reached out to me, they said that, hey, speakers typically wear a suit when they speak at DBU Chapel. And I said, I don't have a suit. Can I still come? And they let me. So really grateful to you guys. Um, also just want to say, dude, uh, really good to hop onto a college campus. My name's Josh. And uh, like uh, Dr. Harley mentioned earlier, I was at a church in Nashville for about 10 years. And uh, they call Nashville the Athens of the South. Uh, because it has the highest concentration of college campuses uh, per capita of almost any, any city uh, in the U.S. And I really, really, really miss um, being in a church, being at a church where our broadcast campus um, was just filled with college students. I miss that a ton, not because it helps the giving in any way whatsoever. Uh, I miss it uh, because college students just have like, a, there's like a feist, there's like a, almost like a feisty holiness um, to uh, just being surrounded by college students in a church. I got a buddy who, uh, he had a young single guy in his church, college student, that uh, all the old ladies in the church, they kept coming up to this guy at, uh, at weddings and just let him know, like trying to encourage him, saying, hey man, it's okay, you're next, you're next. And uh, he finally got so fed up with it, he started attending funerals, finding those same ladies and going, hey, it's okay, you're next, you're next, that kind of thing. And, and so it's just a feistiness, you know. You guys have, you got to have fun with it, this with me. Hey, I want to do this. Um, I want to lead into this passage. Um, and as I get into this, you may be going, why is he talking about this in a DBU chapel? Um, it's because when I was 20 years old, I heard a message on this verse that changed the course of my life and my family. And so let me do this real quick. Let me introduce you to, uh, this is my family. This is uh, the redhead in the middle is my precious wife, Jana. Um, the one on the left of the picture, that's my now nine-year-old daughter, Eliana. And then on the right, that's Felicity. Felicity is now five. And then uh, you guys can celebrate this with us. We just brought home our third adopted Hudson about three months ago. And so, yeah, man, we're excited about that. And uh, that's been really cool. Um, we really love, so these are my girls. Now let me show you, this is my favorite picture of my girls right here. They call that, uh, they call that their mean mug. They call that their mean mug. And uh, that brings me to, you, you may, if you're looking at the pictures, you're kind of going, hey man, Josh, your family, your children, they, they, they don't look like you. Uh, and you're right, that brings me to the verse that I'm teaching today. So we brought home Eliana in an adoption when she was six weeks old. Brought home Felicity in an adoption when she was six weeks old. Brought home Hudson. We, we actually met him at the hospital. And it brings me to this passage that is one of the most famous single verses in the entire Bible. And I just want to, I want to unpack it. And then I want to say something to you that somebody said to me when I was 20. Okay. So if you got your Bibles, the passage says this very famous verse. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, 
this verse, uh, it's one in a long line of many. If, if you're paying attention, when you read the Bible, it's almost as if God is obsessed uh, with orphans. Um, in fact, uh, the verse is too famous, and this is a Christian college, so it wouldn't work in any way, shape, or form. What I wish I could have done is put this verse with a blank on it on screen and have done like a pop Bible trivia quiz. And I want you to imagine this. If I put this on screen and you had never read the verse before, and it just said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is blank. It's fascinating what the Bible doesn't say. Um, It doesn't say like a Martin Luther-like prayer life. It doesn't say fearless evangelism. It doesn't say, you know, a J.I. Packer level theological knowledge. What it says is religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. It's, It's to care for the orphan. Uh, in other words, let me just say this in a very straightforward way. What the Bible's saying is it doesn't matter. I was a biblical studies major in college, so let me just, I'll, I'll say it in a way that I would have understood. It doesn't matter if you're acing Greek and Hebrew or if you're, you're the type of guy that thinks 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John refers to Calvin, MacArthur, and Piper. It doesn't matter. If you don't have an, a heart for the orphan, you simply don't have the heart of God. Um, I'll trace this little theme. So it's interesting to do this. I could do this, in fact, for the entire few minutes that I have. I'll give a couple examples. Uh, Exodus 22, when God gives the Old Testament law, he gives a group of people that he gives like specific commands. I want you to especially care for these types of people. Now, listen really close. This is a famous passage. Exodus 22, you shall not wrong a sojourner. That's an Old Testament word for an immigrant. Or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow... Or fatherless child. Uh, If you do mistreat them, they will cry out to me. I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword. Very intense. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor. Fourth category of person. You shall not be like a money lender to him. And you shall not exact interest from him. Now it's really interesting. Four groups of people. Theologians call them the quartet of the vulnerable. And they're all throughout the Bible. Uh, The sojourner, the widow, the fatherless, and the poor. And essentially what God does for the rest of the Bible is he says, these are the people that I I actually do play favorites. These are my favorites. And I'm going to measure your love for me by how well you love them. I'll give you another example. In Psalm 68, uh, God gives himself a nickname. Um, It's it's one of the only times in the Bible where God gives himself a nickname. And this is what he says. He says, I am a father of the fatherless. And a protector of the widows. Now here, here's why it's really interesting. Um, if you know your, uh, your Old Testament, most of the time when pagan gods and goddesses, they always identified with people who were like high and in power. So they identified with like princes, with kings, with military leaders. Our God, the true God comes and he says, here's who I identify with. Orphans. Widows. People who have no one to care for them. Those are the people that are on my team. I'll do one last one. Um, You may never have thought of this before. Uh, When God came incarnate in human flesh, how did he come? Uh, Jesus calls Joseph his father, but Jesus was not Joseph's biological son. Have you ever thought about this? When God comes in human flesh, Jesus was adopted on his father's side. He comes in the form of an adopted child. Now, what you see throughout the Bible is that God is absolutely obsessed with orphans. Why? This math is actually really easy. Because God loves people. And orphans are the world's most hurting people. 
Um, uh, let, let me just give you some stats really quick. I, I'm getting to why this matters for you. Just give me a second. Right now, there are 400,000 children in foster care in the United States. 100,000 of them are hoping to be adopted. Um, I, I don't know if you know uh, what happens. Every year, about 100,000 children age out of the United States foster care system. Here's what happens when you age out of the U.S. foster care system. You turn 18, uh, the, parent, the foster mom or dad of your house ushers you to the door, hands you a $500 check from the U.S. government and says, good luck. Now, I, I don't know how you would do 18, no education, no family support, no social economic system, nothing like that, $500 in your pocket, good luck. I would not have done very well. Uh, in Asia right now, where the greatest orphan crisis in the world is, there are 60 million orphans. Um, one person I read in preparation for this message, they said, uh, if orphans in the world were a country, if you just took all the orphans in the world, made them a country, that would be the seventh largest country in the world. Okay, now, Joseph Stalin, who I'm not used to quoting in sermons on compassion, uh, Joseph Stalin said, uh, the death of one is a tragedy, the death of a million is just a, a statistic. So uh, let me give you the story of one. So um, I mentioned earlier my now five-year-old daughter, Felicity. This is a picture of her right after a Tennessee Titans touchdown. This is her right here. That's Felicity. And then this is, uh, this is Felicity a couple weeks ago after she scored her first goal in soccer. I was very excited about that. Um, Felicity, uh, like I said, we brought home Felicity when she was six weeks old. When Felicity was two years old, um, I was tucking her in bed one night, and uh, I could tell that she was, like, really emotional. And I was just like, hey, Felicity, like, Hey, what's bothering you? And she said, Dad, um, can, I, can I ask you a question? And I was like, babe, you could ask me anything, you know? And, uh, and she said, she grabbed my hand, and she said, why didn't my mommy want to keep me when I was born? And, uh, and the first thing I did was I said, Jana, get in here. <laughs> Somebody help me with this question, you know? Uh, but the second thing I did is, uh, is I just started explaining to her, oh, babe, you know, Listen, your birth mom, she loved you so much. She loved you so much that she just wanted you to have the best life you could possibly have. And here's how much she loved you. That as soon as she realized that she couldn't give that life to you, she made the hardest choice that she'll ever make to place you for adoption so that we could have you and try to give you the life that she wanted you to have. And then we said this to her and we said, and babe, we picked you. All those other families with normal kids, they got stuck with their kids. But we picked you. We wanted you, babe, you know. And we tell her that all the time. And now, uh, Felicity, before she goes to bed for years, um, she used to pray four things before she went to bed every night. She'd say, uh, dear God, please no fires. Totally rational. Uh, dear God, uh, please don't let any bugs crawl on me while I'm sleeping. Again, completely understand. Uh, dear God, no bad dreams. And then for like two years after that conversation, every night, she would pray, thank you, God, that I have a mommy and a daddy. Now, I want you to think about this. There are 60 million children in the world who cannot pray, thank you, God, that I have a mommy and a daddy. 60 million. Um, now, the question is like, like, what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Um, in fact, let me, let me rephrase that question. What is it that motivates a Christian to have the heart of God to care for the orphan? Well, can I just point something out to you? This, so that verse, James 1.27, gets quoted all the time. Here's what people usually skip in that verse. Have you ever noticed that the verse designates who God is in relation to you 
before it ever gives you a command about what you're to do. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father. Now, let me ask this. Why does that specific verse go out of its way to designate that God is your Father before it tells you to do anything? Let me just make this very plain to you. In every other religion, worldview, and philosophy that has ever existed in the world, so Christianity is fundamentally different than every other religion, worldview, and philosophy that has ever existed. Here's how. In every other religion, worldview, and philosophy, your activity leads to your identity. What you do determines who you are before God or the universe or, you know, the the order of spiritual being, whatever it is. So in every other religion, worldview, and philosophy, God's level of acceptance of you is dependent upon your level of obedience to him. Okay, Christianity is the exact opposite. In Christianity, what God does is he comes into our lives and he changes our identity, who we are. We are unconditionally accepted before him as sons and daughters. And that change in identity naturally leads to a shift in our activity. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion, worldview, philosophy that's ever existed. Now, here's what I'm saying. James 1.27 is not a checklist for you to be saved. Adopt kids and then you will be adopted by God. It does the opposite. It says because you have been adopted by God, he's your father. That will change something in you and turn you into somebody who has a broken heart for the orphan. Let me, um, so Jan and I, uh, the, the, the number one question Jan and I get when we start talking about adoption is everybody wants to know why did you choose to adopt? And I think most people, I'm not used to this thing. I'm, I'm going to stand over here for a second. I think most people, they assume our answer is going to be infertility. Uh, Jan and I, we were diagnosed with something called unexplained infertility. It's basically when a doctor says you can't have kids and we have no idea why. It's a super helpful diagnosis. And, uh, and so, so I think most people think our answer is going to be biology. Our answer, Jan and I, we decided to adopt before we ever met each other. Before we ever went on the blind date, we decided to adopt when I was sit. I decided to adopt when I was sitting in a college chapel service exactly like this one. It was not biology that led me to want to adopt. It was theology. I wasn't in a doctor's office. I was in a chapel service. Now, if that, if that doesn't make any sense, um, the J.I. Packer says this. J.I. Packer says that the controlling analogy of salvation in the Bible is adoption. In other words, if you want one analogy that best explains your salvation, it's adoption, okay? Uh, you see this all throughout. Uh, let me give a couple examples. Have you ever noticed that um, when Jesus is getting ready to uh, depart and ascend, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will return to you. Why didn't Jesus say, I won't leave you alone? He didn't say that. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll return to you. Uh, If you guys have ever known a family that adopted internationally, you guys remember how those families always take two trips to the country from which they're adopting. They take one trip, and on the first trip, listen real close. On the first trip, they accomplish all of the legal requirements to make that child theirs. And then they come home and then there's a waiting period. But the second time, the second time they come, they're bringing that kid all the way home into the family. And Jesus was saying, watch, the first time he came, 
he accomplished all of the legal requirements necessary to make you his son or his daughter. And you guys understand, the next time he comes, he's going to bring you all the way home. It's an adoption analogy. Romans 8 says, For we have not been given a spirit of fear to fall back again into slavery, but you have been given the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 says that the cross was the price that Jesus paid to bring somebody into a family. Do you know why it says that? What price was he paying? When Jesus went to the cross, what he was doing is he was saying, at any cost to myself, I'm going to pay the adoption fees for you. At any cost to myself, I'm going to do that. Okay, so let me just summarize all of this. What James 1.27 is doing is it's saying, understanding that we are adopted leads us to care for adoption. Let me restate James 1.27. The clearest sign, according to James 1.27, that you've been adopted by God is that you've developed a heart for the adoption of other people. Okay? Uh, Now, let me land the plane and just make this super personal. Uh, Adoption, when you engage in it, um, it creates all sorts of moments. Okay? Um, It creates some really funny moments. Uh, Our daughter Eliana was... Uh, upstairs while Jana was folding laundry and watching Jana's favorite TV show is Blackish, and uh, and so Eliana was watching it and Eliana just she was she kept looking at Jana and then like looking at the screen. Oh, let me take this off real quick. She kept looking at Jana, looking at the screen, look at Jana, look at the screen, look at Jana, look at the screen, and then she she like all of a sudden just her eyes got really big, like she had just had this mind blowing realization, and she looked at Jana and she said, "Mom, can you imagine?" if a whole family was brown? Can you even imagine? You know, that kind of thing. We were like, yeah, baby, we can't imagine, but we can't do that for you, okay? Um, adoption, it creates, uh, it creates some really frustrating moments. I was at a grocery store a couple years ago uh, talking to a guy in front of me in line. He noticed that my kids didn't look like me, and we started talking about adoption. And uh, at the end of the conversation, in front of my two daughters, in front of them, He said, so do you plan on having any real children? And what I wanted to say was like, you're about to have a real black eye. That's what's about to happen right now, you know, that kind of thing. So it creates some like frustrating moments. Um, More than anything, it creates, like I cannot describe the level of joy, the moments that it creates. Um, So let me me show you this one, last one. Um, this is the picture of Felicity's adoption finalization day. Uh, this was the day when in the eyes of the United States government, we could go to the courtroom and like we could, we could officially make Felicity our daughter. Now, if you look really close, Jana's mascara is a disaster uh, because we were just, we were weeping our eyes out. Um, but let me explain, when we were crying, we weren't crying with just Felicity in mind. Um, here's what happened. We stood in front of that judge and I wrote down what he said. He had us in front of him and he said, Josh and Jana Howerton, you understand that this child's name will be legally changed to Felicity Hope Howerton. And we said, yes, we do. He said, number two, you understand that henceforth she will have the right to an inheritance from you. And we said, yes, we do. And he said, Josh and Jana Howerton, you understand, you accept responsibility for her physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way. And like through tear-stained cheeks, we said, yes, you know, we, we, we do. And again, we weren't crying just because of Felicity. Jan and I were weeping because we were thinking about what God had done for us. And do you guys understand this? That if you 
are a Christian. There was a moment in eternity past where Jesus approached the throne room of heaven with your name graven on his hands. And it's as if the judge of the universe looked at him and he said, Jesus Christ, you understand that the names of the children who were previously called not my people will be changed legally to sons and daughters of the living God. And he said, yes, I do. And he said, you understand that henceforth they will have the right to an inheritance to inherit everything that is yours. And he said, yes, I do. And then he said, with you on his mind, the judge said, do you accept responsibility for me, Josh? <laughs> do you accept responsibility for Josh physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way? And Jesus said, yes, at any cost to myself, I do. See, you were given a new name, a new future, and a new inheritance. And when you understand that that was done for you, that changes you to become somebody who wants that to do that, who wants to do that for other people. Now, let me land the plane and then get you guys out of here. Let me just say this. I, I preached this entire few minutes to say this one thing. You can't change the world, but you can change someone's world. You can't change the world, but you can change someone's world. I'm gonna issue you a challenge, the challenge that was issued to me in a college chapel service when I was 20. Uh, let me say this, not everyone is called to adopt and it needs to be a calling. If you never adopt a child, you have done absolutely nothing wrong and you need to feel no false guilt. But I do wanna land a plane with this challenge. I wanna challenge you as you move into your future marriages and families to simply consider this, making one of the children that you have a child through adoption. Just to make that a consideration as you move into your families. One of the children that you have, a child through adoption as an image of the gospel. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us and the incredible price you paid for our adoption. Thank you for the sons and daughters sitting in this room. I pray that the world, lives, family trees would be changed because of your great heart for us. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.